All right, welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. This is your EMED coach with another episode of your EM Stud Podcast. Uh, matches upon us right now. People are filling out their last minute request. Programs are searching for their new interns. And what an exciting season. How are things going out for you, Nate, on the East Coast? Oh, man, we are finally done with our interviews. Uh, that was a mammoth undertaking, but we're finally done with our interviews, getting ready to put together our rank lists and we just met a, a bunch of fantastic applicants this year. Yeah, it's been certainly a fun season. Um, make sure that you visit our website, uh, emstud.com, as well as consider following us at ERDrNate. That's E-R-D-R-N-8. And myself, the EMED coach. So today, Nate, the topic is going to be student advising. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And I know that's kind of the reason behind us starting this podcast is how do we bring everybody together? How do we get the information out there and, you know, not repeat the same conversation a thousand times? Yeah, Scott, this is, this is a really exciting episode, actually, because uh, we have with us some members of the uh, newly reformed uh, Student Advisement Task Force uh, from CORD. It's since been renamed to the Advising Students Committee in EM, but uh, same thing, great group of folks. Uh, and actually, I think uh, we ought to just have them introduce themselves. I'm Linda Katurji. I'm one of the uh, faculty members at University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center. And um, I've been on uh, at ASCOM, what we call it now, um, for a couple of years. And my name's Caitlin Schrepel. I am one of the chief residents at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I will be one of the medical education fellows starting in August. And I've also been involved in CORD for a couple of years. Um, I've been involved with ASCOM for a couple of years as well, and I'm now one of the team leads. Tell me just a little bit about uh, the new ASCOM group here. What, what exactly is that? What, what, what's the mission of this, uh, this, this group? Uh, so I can talk a little bit about it. So this group is basically a committee in um, CORD, which is Council of Residency Directors in EM. Um, and essentially the group is, uh, its mission is to improve advising for emergency medicine students and their mentors. Um, we're trying to kind of improve the quality and consistency and access to advising for students. Um, since, you know, we've noticed that, or everybody knows that there's a, there's a not very consistent advising a lot of the times between different medical schools. Um, so our goal is kind of to use consensus and evidence-based um, uh, stuff to to improve that. And I love the the acronym. There's some acronyms yeah. that are just cheesy, but this is awesome. I mean, it's the Advising Student Committee and EM. Ask them. That's just great. And so this is a group of program directors, clerkship directors, people that love students and trying to put together some good resources. And I love that you're evidence-based. And then we're going to go through each of those and kind of talk more about them. So what's a 10,000-foot view? So um, ASCOM started by creating a general applying guide um, that is available on our website, which is housed within the main CORD website. And that's for students in general. It goes through just some general advice on applying to residency and there's also available timelines for students so that they have an idea of when to get started, when to start thinking about particular parts of the applying process. And we've published those things on our blog as well, the vocal cord. Um, but we realized that this general applying guide wasn't, gener wasn't um, applicable to all types of students. And there were some students that needed more specific um, help and advice. And so we 
decided to create the special population addenda to this applying guide. And I think these resources, you know, we try to make them um, helpful for students and people who advise um, students applying to emergency medicine. Um, So that's kind of what all this is geared towards, you know, deans of medical schools who may not be super familiar with how to, you know, um, how to advise a, a military student. Maybe they've never had that before going into EM. So we kind of have all that stuff for these uh, groups of students who have, like Caitlin said, uh, kind of more individualized needs. Gotcha. So how did you guys write these addenda? Were they just uh, random opinions or how do, how do we form some of these? So it depended a little bit on the agenda. Uh, generally, it uh, started with some group consensus with all the experts that compose ASCM, um, and then looked for evidence-based data where it existed. And where it didn't exist, we tried to create a little bit of our own. Um, recently uh, sent out a survey to all the program directors and those who advise students um, who are part of CORD to try to get a little bit more data on what they would recommend so that it wasn't just our own group opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good summary, basically. (laughs) I mean, unfortunately for for some groups, there's more, you know, data out there than others. Um, uh, For example, you know, military, there's kind of limited data on applying to EM and um, stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of it was based on surveys, um, that we sent out through the cord listserv or um, just studies that have been done in the past. Um, but a lot of that is evolving too. So every time we get new data, we update these addenda as well. Cool. So, and we're going to talk about uh, some of these uh, addenda in just a second. But uh, before we get there, I just wanted to ask, uh, do, do you know, are these successful? Are students using these? Do you have any metrics? So right now our best metric, and we're working on changing this, is kind of um, how many people view it on the vocal cord. Um, And we do have a pretty decent amount of views kind of from all over the world. Um, You know, our most viewed um, addenda is the international medical graduate applicant at almost 5,000 views. Osteopathic Guide is pretty popular too at at, um, 3,700 views. And then the EM-IM Guide and Military Guide also have um, about 2,500 views. So uh, again, this is just on the vocal cord. It's not um, counting the clicks on our website, Um, but that should change too pretty soon. You know, Nate, that crushes the 13 people that subscribe to the (laughs) Instead podcast. I'm a little embarrassed here. And I can tell you just from having conversations with applicants this season that um, I couples matched. And so one of the things that I generally talk to applicants when I see them is couples matching. And I can tell you that people I have talked to have already heard of these resources before I even bring them up, which I think is a good sign. Yeah, and I've kind of like just personally forced them onto, you know, my colleagues from residency and people who I know are in academic medicine and been like, hey, look, here we have these things, use them, print them out. And I know here at my home program, um, everyone that rotates through our um, our ER who's interested in EM, you know, we give them a copy of the general applying guide. And then also um, if they fall into one of these specific groups. And I think most students find them helpful, at least it's kind of like a basis of, uh, of where to start.
All right. Well, uh, let's talk about some of these addenda. Um, now, obviously, uh, if students go to the website, they can read the full uh, applying guide and addenda themselves, which we highly recommend, of course. But starting with uh, osteopathic applicants, DO applicants, uh, are there maybe just a few key points that you want to you go over? Yeah, so I think the main thing for all of these addenda that students will notice and um, other people who read these will notice is that um, for every population, it's very important to plan ahead and to find a mentor who can help you through this process. Um, so you'll notice that, notice that that's a common theme. But for osteopathic students in general, we um, have found that advisors recommend taking USMLE Step 1 and Step 2. You want to be able to compare yourself to the allopathic students. And then also getting a, um, a way or an audition elective rotation done really early so that you can put your best foot forward, do this, and, and plan uh, ahead and then being really strategic with where you apply, look at where osteopathic students have been successful in the past. Yeah, and I think uh, part of that really is either looking at the current residents and seeing if they're, you know, if they take osteopathic students historically, um, but also, you know, reaching out to people in that program and, you know, just asking what is your attitude um, as far as taking osteopaths. And I don't think anyone would uh, mind that question. Now, that's solid advice, and I think definitely needed. I always feel uh, uncomfortable advising students with some of these unique things. So this is really going to help bring some evidence-based approaches together. You know, in fact, last week I got a, an email from our dean of student affairs. There's a, a student who's got a significant other, and they're a Canadian resident, not doing emergency medicine, but they're interested in coming to the U.S. And he said, Scott, you're our emergency guy. What do you, what do you think? And I said, gee, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> So um, we actually used the uh, advising consult. So we clicked on that. And shocking enough, we found a, a friend of the podcast, friend of the show, uh, Samir Desai. And so he was able to help us out and get some really solid advice to try to help this person out. So let's, let's jump in that from an uh, uh, international medical graduate. So how do we maybe advise them and what advice do we, we see that are some highlights that we can share? Yeah, I think unfortunately, you know, the reason that our international medical graduate addenda has the most clicks is because they are the people who lack the most advising and probably need the most. Um, so, you know, kind of the same thing as as the DOs. You do, as an international medical graduate, have a lot of a lot more hurdles that you have to jump over. Um, and if if you're talking to someone that's not familiar with them, it might kind of uh, be harder to navigate through this. So finding a mentor who's familiar with this kind of thing is really important. Um, and I think, you know, our uh, group is actually trying to create something where, where students can find a mentor. Or There's already the EMRA mentor program, too. Um, but finding a mentor is really important, as Galen said, with everything. Um, and kind of same thing with DO. Uh, you really have to look at programs who um, have a history of accepting international medical graduates um, because I think that is more of a, um, a like clear line in programs. Some of them do and some of them don't. And the same thing, reaching out to a program and asking, hey, you know, if I rotate here, do, do you guys accept um, IMGs? Um, because I think for a program, there is a little bit more complicated uh, process for um, accepting an IMG because of visas and stuff like that. Um, obviously, rotating at a program and getting a really good slow is always going to help 
every applicant, um, but especially IMG. Um, and then making sure, you know, uh, that you can speak and write proper English. Um, that's going to be huge on your ERAS application and any kind of communication you have between programs. And again, with every uh, with every applicant, just having a strong ERAS application um, is super important. Um, and making sure, at least from your end, everything um, as far as visas is straightened out. Again, kind of having a mentor that can help you go through this whole process is really important. Yeah, and I'd just like to add that although these students have a lot of hurdles to jump over, um, definitely use the application to highlight some of the things that make you special, your background, yeah, because a lot of these students have really interesting stories as well. Uh, that's, that's good. Uh, certainly a lot of help needed there, so thanks for your work in that area. Um, one of the things that we get asked a lot of questions about, and I think a lot of students want to know is, you know, am I at risk? Do I have red flags? Is that a yellow flag? What do I do with this? So uh, can you talk a little bit in that area? Yeah, we do have a uh, applying agenda for those students who feel like they have a red flag on their application. And what constitutes a red flag really depends on both the student and the person who's reading the application, but tend to fall into one of about three categories. Either the student had some sort of academic struggle, like failing a course or failing step one, um, or potentially a professionalism concern. So these are things like academic misconduct or even having a criminal uh, record, a misdemeanor or felony history. And then the final uh, group of red flags is uh, unexplained gaps on the CV. And this isn't someone who has a clearly explained gap, which I think some students worry about. This is actually someone who there's a gap in the CV and it isn't addressed otherwise. How would you recommend students uh, address these red flags? I mean, some of these are uh, some pretty tough topics to, to bring up. I mean, history of misdemeanor or, you know, failing step one, those are those are some, you know, things that hit close to home, I think. How, how does a student bring that up and, and still appear to be, you know, competent and qualified for an EM residency program? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing to remember is that it's, uh, there's actual people that are reading your applications, you know, so uh, people understand that things happen. Um, and I think using your personal statement as a spot to explain any red flags, whether like Caitlin said, that's a gap um, or something with a professionalism concern or, you know, that you did really bad in step one or whatever, using your personal statement to um, to explain that um, is, is a really good idea because everyone's going to notice it. It's much better if you kind of just lay it all out there and say what happened. Um, Cause like I said, people understand that things happen. And if you have good reasons, um, you know, it makes it, makes it a little different. Um, and then if you know that there's something on your application, it's much, much more important to find an advisor or a mentor even earlier in the application process. You know, the second you think you know you want to do emergency medicine, you should start talking to someone, you know, how can I improve other uh, parts of my application um, to kind of overcome this red flag? How can I address this red flag? You know, just going uh, through it with someone um, who either reads applications or is a, a part of a program, I think will help. I think that when students 
um, kind of just try to avoid it and not address it, that's kind of when they run into problems with matching. Yeah, they're going to be able to tell you if you need a backup plan or maybe a different specialty or maybe the nuances. These are so variable and there's so many different areas you could cover. So, uh, man, that's a tough one. It is. And for advisors, you know, like you kind of mentioned with your with your um, Canadian applicants, uh, we do have the advising consult service. So if you ever are advising a student that does have a big red flag that's, you know, something unique or something you've never encountered before and you just have no clue. Um, We do have that consult service on our website that you can fill in a form and um, everything's confidential and kind of ask, you know, what what do I do with this student? And we do have a group of people who have all signed a confidentiality form on um, ASCM who will kind of go through this case and dissect it and, and come up with the best solution. And the one time I used it, that consult came back quicker than a general surgery consult. <laughs> Very fast. Way to go, guys. So on to um, you, another uh, touchy or, or difficult topic, I guess, is, uh, you know, the issue of being a reapplicant. Uh, and you, you all put together uh, a, a specific agenda just for that. Um, so can you tell me more about that? How, how is that different if you're a reapplicant to emergency medicine? So reapplicants are kind of a, another um, risky applicant, I guess, uh, depending on, you know, why it happened and, and what you do between your first and second application. So um, there's a, a ton of different scenarios on on how this could happen or, or what you could do after you don't match. So we kind of go through every single scenario through this addenda. Um, but really, uh, to kind of sum it up, if you don't match into EM initially, um, you know, obviously it's stressful. Um, it's, it's really hard to go through. Um, but you kind of have to, if you're at risk and you think this might happen, kind of reading through this and thinking about it ahead of time is really going to help you, um, if you do end up in this position. So, um, there's a couple different things you can do if you don't match, um, initially, um, so you can participate in the SOAP um, and hopefully get a um, EM spot. However, that's very, very rare. Um, or participate in the SOAP and scramble into a non-EM preliminary or categorical position. And we kind of go through like the pros and cons of if you match into a transitional year versus preliminary versus, you know, categorical categorical position in in another specialty and there's kind of pros and cons to each one um you can also take a year off to get a graduate degree um and then you know working with your medical school um, some people actually extend their graduation and do a fifth year of medical school um or research during that time um so if this does happen to you um the best thing you can do is basically match into something somewhere. Um, so whether that's obviously an EM spot would be great, um, but either a categorical position or prelim position somewhere, that's really the best thing you can do, even if it's not in a specialty that you originally wanted to do. Um, but if you are in a, in a spot where you can do EM rotations, kind of like doing rotations over again is helpful. So let's say you match into a prelim year in, uh, in medicine. Um, consider trying to do your EM rotation um, in the summer or fall so you can get another slow. Um, and if you're at a program that has an EM residency, kind of 
you know, rotating there and talking to the program director there is really important. It can be really helpful. Um, you know, obviously, if you didn't match, going through your application with somebody is really important as well. And saying, hey, where are uh, where are my weak spots? Why didn't I match? Is it something in my application that I can change? Was it my interview skills? You know, figure out if it's something you can change or something you can kind of make up for in another way. Um, and then like we kind of touched on before, addressing these red flags in your application, your, your reapplication and personal statement and, you know, kind of what you went through not matching and, and how you dealt with it and, you know, how you've grown from it, things like that. That's really important. Um, and obviously doing well in that position, um, if you did a prelim or categorical year, is also really important. You know, if you do a year in general surgery, we're going to be impressed if you did well in that year, um, whereas a bad letter over a year is, is going to hurt you more. Another specialty population is students that uh, are coming from military backgrounds. Um, and Scott, as you know, we've actually had... Uh, some uh, military residents um, at our program for a couple of years now, and I, and I have to say it really is its own unique animal in a lot of ways. Um, so what can you guys tell us about uh, what to consider if you're uh, in the military? So I'm not military, but I, I came from a, a school, um, a medical school that was at an Air Force base, so we had a lot of military programs there. Um, so I kind of um, ended up doing a lot of the military um, addenda with um, a couple other people who are actually military as well. So um, the issue with military students is that the data and information is really, really hard to find. And the whole match is really hard to navigate. It's very different from the civilian match as far as timeline. You know, there's much less EM uh, students who go who are, sorry, military students who go into EM, you know, just statistically. So we're not as used to dealing um, with them. So it, it's kind of tough for those students. Um, they kind of have to navigate things by themselves. Another problem is many things change year to year. And, and also each branch of the military is different um, in their application process. So there's just so many variables. It's really hard. As we've kind of been saying over and over, it's really important to find a mentor um, early who can help guide you through this. Um, if you don't you know, know anybody who's emergency mil uh, medicine and military, uh, or you don't have any military programs at your school, I think reaching out um, to military training programs um, is beneficial, um, even just to figure out what the timeline is. Um, also, a really great tool is the um, EMRA mentorship program, and you can reach out and kind of students can request uh, a military uh, mentor. And, you know, people who have been through this before are sometimes, you know, recently are the best um, mentors to have because they can tell you, okay, make sure you have this done by this time, that kind of thing. Um, Obviously, I would consider doing an emergency medicine rotation at a military hospital um, in addition to a civilian program um, because a lot of military applicants um, end up uh, matching civilian since there's so few military spots. So you kind of have to prepare for two different matches at once, um, which is hard. Um, and again, it's really important 
this is can be a point of confusion sometimes for military students, but it's important that even if your goal is to match at a civilian program, you still have to go through the military match, interview at military programs, um, and go through that whole process. Because if you don't interview with the military, um, you won't be eligible to go through the civilian match. So just little things like that um, that are kind of obviously really uh, important to know um, are not really common knowledge, um, unfortunately. So uh, I think finding finding somebody who, who has some knowledge of this process is really important if you are a military student. All right. So that's that's definitely a twist. Um, another one is is couples in emergency medicine. Yeah. I mean, the real Dr. Weeders and myself are both EM docs. Uh, we were a year apart and, and matched back in the day. We didn't couples match. But how is the, the modern match challenging for couples? Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, this is something I can definitely talk to since I went through it personally. Um, So I think first off, the couples match is a really great thing. Uh, For those couples who want to stay together, it gives you an option to really try to make sure that you're in the same uh, geographic area. So um, while a lot of people find it stressful, important to remember that it's really um, quite helpful as well. Um, Just like with all these groups, very important to educate yourself um, about this process early on, you can go onto the web, the uh, ARMP website, and it has a whole section on the couples match process and what that actually means. Each couple is so different. It really depends, you know, how competitive are you? How competitive is your significant other? What specialties are you guys going into uh, to try to, to determine how many places you need to apply to, how many interviews you should try to get? And, you know, where exactly in the country you should be looking. Some of the tips we talk about in our addenda include finding areas where there's just a lot of programs because you're more likely to match in the same location if there's a lot of programs in that area. Um, And then also communicating a lot with your partner. You wanna talk about what the goals are for your couples match. Is it really important that you both match or is it okay if one of you goes unmatched Do you want to make sure you're within a certain mile range of uh, where your residency programs are? Do you want to end up at the same program? So it's really important to have a lot of uh, long conversations with your partner (laughs) about your goals and also meet with your advisor as a couple to kind of brainstorm about the best way to go about this. And um, I think the other just important thing to remember is that This changes throughout the course of the process. Start thinking about this early, but continue to reassess your goals as you work through both your relationship and your decision about what you're going to do for residency. Wow. And is is it much different if only one of them is doing EM? I mean, there's the the double EM couples. There's the uh, double plastics couples, I guess. But... uh... Yeah. Crazy permutations here. Yeah, exactly. There's so many different combinations. I remember meeting a couple who was applying ENT, ENT when I was applying and I was just like, you guys are crazy. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so if both of you are emergency medicine, I know some people get concerned, especially if you're applying in areas of the country where there's only one emergency medicine program, for instance, the University of Washington only has one um, out here. So obviously you would be applying to the same program. 
But we found in our survey that most uh, program directors would be happy to take a couple um, who was applying through the uh, couples match to the same program. And obviously, if your partner is applying into something more competitive, um, that's going to restrict you a little bit and probably increase the number of applications you need to send out and interviews you need to do. All right. Well, great. Well, another question that comes up often um, and something that I think this, uh, this this service is geared well towards is, you know, what if I don't have a local EM program and I need an advisor? What if I'm at a school where there's there just really isn't uh, any resources for me? Is there someone who can help? Who do I reach out to? Well, Nate, I think you've offered that you'll mentor anyone in the world. So just feel free to email Nate at his personal email and his cell phone is one two three. Four five six seven eight nine. Yes, Scott. Thank thank you for bringing that bringing that up once again. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we we've actually just um, recently kind of started to tackle this group of students um, because with so many you know new medical schools opening and stuff, there's uh, a lot of places who don't have home emergency medicine programs. Um, so we've kind of called these students orphan applicants. Um, and we did just come out with an orphan applicant addenda, um, which kind of addresses kind of what you should do, where to go, how to how to go through this kind of by yourself. Um, again, finding a mentor is huge. Um, using that EMRA mentorship thing is good. Um, or even just reaching out to close programs. You know, most people who are in academics um, or, you know, involved in CORD in these groups that are committees that we're in uh, do this because they like working with residents and medical students. Um, so as far as I've uh, seen, most people are happy to answer questions um, and kind of help medical students through this process um, if they're in one of these positions. So reaching out to, you know, nearby medical schools with programs um, is not a bad idea. Obviously, just having a good application in general is going to help. Um, and then when you do do your away rotations, um, obviously rotating at places that have programs and then using those people as a resource is a great idea. Um, we're also uh, in ASCOM, we're in the process of creating a, a distance advising um, subcommittee. And right now we're just identifying kind of where all these medical schools are that don't have programs and then we're going to come up or EM programs and then we're going to kind of come up with a way to uh, have, have students be able to reach out with to us with advising questions or um, kind of get assigned a mentor so we can kind of as a group help these uh, orphan applicants along. Another topic that uh, comes up among students uh, each year is uh, the existence of dual programs, um, you know, combined emergency medicine training with uh, some other uh, specialty, sort of an interesting idea. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what combined tracks there are and, you know, maybe why you might want to pick something like that? Yeah, so um, this is actually something I learned very recently, but there are five different um, ways you can apply to a dual program with emergency medicine. You can combine emergency medicine with anesthesia or family medicine, or internal medicine, 
Or if you want to go really crazy, you can do internal medicine and critical care with emergency medicine. <laughs> and then finally, like a 15 there's... 15-year track. I know, a 15-year track, yeah. And then finally, there's emergency medicine and pediatrics. So there's five different ways. And in our addenda, we talk about all of these different tracks and uh, where they're located currently as well. And really, students need to be able to articulate why they want to do this track. Um, it's cannot stress that enough. This is not just, oh, I couldn't decide, or I want to be a really good doctor. Um, you want to have a good vision for why it is that this is something you want to do, whether that's because you have some sort of specific academic goal, or maybe you want to work in a rural environment and you think this would be beneficial to your community. But you definitely want to have a really good idea of why you want to be in that 15-year tract. Um, and then uh, is most of these, important to remember that most of the combined residencies are just as competitive as the corresponding programs at the institution. So keeping that in mind when you're applying. And use your personal statement to explain why this is something that you want to do. And definitely recommend also applying to some categorical programs in addition because there aren't that many of these dual uh, programs available. So that'll increase your chances of matching. And most programs require uh, one to two of the emergency medicine slows and also uh, one to two letters of uh, recommendation from the other specialty involved in whichever tract you're deciding on. And uh, just like all of these uh, special populations we've been talking about, really important to get that mentor, talk to somebody who knows about this, who's done it before, or who's advised students through it before, because it is nuanced. But the addenda certainly can give you some uh, starting points for all of this. Good deal. Um, I'm, I'm getting emails, it seems like, almost every week. Uh, there's dozens of rotation scholarships and programs all focused on underrepresented minorities in emergency medicine. Um, can you unpack and give us some information on some of the resources regarding this special population? Yeah, so, you know, um, again, this is, uh, this is becoming um, more and more important in emergency medicine, and, you know, we're all trying to kind of tackle um, – diversity and and make sure that um, we have that because that's a really important uh, thing to uh, emergency medicine programs. Um, but really, <laughs> I feel like we should just call this podcast like get a mentor, the end. <laughs> but <laughs> finding, finding someone like an advisor to help you out um, or just like a, a support system um, is really important. Like you said, there's a lot of like scholarships and programs out there um, for underrepresented minorities. Um, and sometimes they're just hard to find. So finding someone who can help you kind of go through that stuff and see if you can take advantage of anything like that um, is important. Um, but also, you know, just highlighting um, uh, the person you are um, on your EM residency application is important. Um, and, uh, you know, just using that as as um, a part of yourself, um, but just highlighting the most confident version of yourself is really important in your interview. Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've still got obviously work to do uh, in this area, but I think the EM culture is very welcoming. Um, I think anyone that identifies as an underrepresented minority should feel uh, at home and welcomed and applying. I think most all programs uh, are very appreciative of diversity and, and actually looking for that in an applicant. So uh, I would say, uh, say go for it. Definitely. 
Well, Scott, I don't know about you, but uh, I certainly feel ready to apply to an EM residency now. I think I need to get an advisor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need a mentor. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably in trouble then. Well, thank you all for coming on and sharing these uh, these just you know great resources that are are new. They're evidence based. They're freely accessible, and of course, we'll have the links to all of the all of the things that we've mentioned um, in our show notes. Yeah, if the uh, listeners want to reach out to you guys, or, do you have a Twitter handle or a way they can contact you? Yeah, my uh, my Twitter handle created before I was in medicine is googly, G-E-W-G-L-Y. Yeah, and I have a Twitter handle as well that I use somewhat. You'd think I'd use it more since I'm actually a millennial, but it's uh, <laughs> at Shrapel C. And we're actually, uh, our ASCM is working on getting our own email as well. So, you know, when we do have that, we'll post that to our website. Well, ladies, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing the work and knowledge that you're so important to doing. We really appreciate everything that you've done. So EM Studs, make sure you check out the uh, website. Look for ASCM through our CORD representatives, and hopefully that will help you make the goal of matching and becoming an EM stud. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. Rotate well, my friends. <laughs>